Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want more bonus material and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash la vie creative. And also don't forget to check out Amazon where you can pick up my new book, Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. In the book, I talk about my creative adventures in Paris, from starting my business to being homeless, hello, starving artist, (laughs) to how I met all these wonderful creative people. Don't forget to check it out on Amazon. And also, thank you so much once more for listening and for your support. Enjoy the show. So welcome back to Parish History Avec Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, of course, my favorite history buff. <laughs> and today we are talking about Jean Levant. If you know, if you do not know who that is, I did not as well. Apparently, she ran the biggest fashion house in the world. It still does. Well, not back then, but now it is. Is what I'm understanding. Claudine will be much better at explaining all this. And she also created a perfume company. So let's learn about this creative woman in French history today with Claudine. Yeah, she she's pretty amazing. It's actually the oldest. I don't know about the biggest, but it's the oldest fashion house in the world. She's the original. We were talking about she was before Coco even. She was, and that was really what really drew me to her. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wow, why does no one know about this woman? She was around before Coco Chanel. She did all of the things before Coco Chanel. So yet another reason, another little thing I could put into the book about Coco. <laughs> yeah, because perfume and fashion and woman before her time. I mean, basically, she just was not good at PR is what I'm understanding. Yes, not very good at that, but. She was born in Paris on one of my favorite streets, Rue Mazarin in uh, in Saint-Germain. She was born there in 1867, and she was the oldest of 11 children. Wow. Yeah, so her and her father, Bernard Constant Lavin, um, worked, as, worked for a press, and her mother worked as a seamstress. And they were did not have a lot of money, and of course, you know, with 11 children and I mean, uh, Rue Mazarin, I, you know, I've stayed in many apartments on that street and I can't imagine there being one that would have enough for 13 people. <laughs> I was going to say, how did they have 11 kids in a Paris apartment? Yeah, that's, it just seems very, very tight quarters. I imagine but, a lot of bunk beds. Yeah, a lot of bunk. Did they have bunk beds back then? Probably something like that, right? I don't know. I never saw them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she, um, at 13 years old, she started working in a hat shop and to help make money for the family because, you know, she's the, was the oldest. And by 16, she was already an apprentice millionaire. And a few years later in 1889, she had opened, already had opened her very first store. 
Wow, good for her. That was fast. Yeah, so she was just 22 years old, and she opened it on the Rue Boissy d'Anglais, and she also launched, uh, her, that's when she actually launched her fashion house. So when we say it's the oldest one, it actually, it's that's when she launched it, was 1889. At 22 years old. At 22 years old, yeah. Wow. I know some of these stories now, and you just think of people that are 22 years old now, and you're like, mm, I don't, don't see that happening. <laughs> idiot at 22 years old I couldn't imagine opening anything go out drinking with your friends at 20 yeah I was just opening credit cards like yeah. <laughs> why did she do that wow yeah so she but she decided designing she started with the hats and her hats became really popular with the aristocrats and the high class ladies and it was long before Coco did it so it she um she in 1883 in 1893 she decided decided she needed a bigger shop. So she signed a lease for a much bigger space at 22 Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honoré. Today, it is still the Lanvin store. Mm, okay, it's still there today. Wow. A well over 100 years. So and originally it was called, it was actually named Lanvin and then in parentheses, Mademoiselle Jean Maud. And that was the name of her shop. I think that's a really cool name. I like that. I know. It's very cool. So on February 20th, 1896, she decided to get married to an Italian count named Emilio de Pietro. And um, to, next year, the next year, she ended up having a daughter. And Marguerite Marie Blanche was born. And she became basically her entire life. She was like her total source of inspiration. Um, she still was designing hats. But then she decided to design clothes for her daughter. And she would design clothes for her that was basically for the little girl about town was what how, what she called them. This is so cute. And she would just, you know, they'd be like, they'd be stuff that ad adults would wear. Adult women would wear with like, you know, lavish fabrics and embellishments. And her, you know, she, her little girl at, you know, three, four years old is dressed like, you know, a, a very um, high class lady in Paris. So she made like adult clothes for kids for the first time, like giving them real fashion. Basically. Yes, yeah. So she designed it for her daughter first. And then um, everybody was so taken by it that they, everybody wanted um, the same designs for themselves. So these women were coming in and they were like, well, you know, I, I saw that, saw this, where did you get this? I, I want that, you know, where can I get this? So Jean um, was very smart and decided to start um, designing clothes for women and for children, for her children. That was a great move on her part. Yeah, I, and, I mean, it's great that she could expand into both. Yeah, and I've seen some photos online, and I'll put them on my website um, after for this episode. But I mean, it was pretty like the stuff that the for the little girls. I was like, I would wear that today. <laughs> yeah, like it's timeless fashion, not just for children too. Apparently, yeah. yeah. So she had in her store. She opened. She you know it, she kept expanding in. In 1909, she expanded it a little bit more, and she opened a young lady and women's department. I like so, it. The mothers and daughters could all be matching in their very high-end looks as they walked around the streets of Paris. I love this. How fun. I want to see pictures. Yeah, it's so cute. So um, unfortunately, her marriage didn't really work out that well. So they separated in 1902 and a divorced in 1903. And in 1907, she got married again to a French journalist um, for the conservative paper Le Temps um, named Xavier Mele. 
And, you know, they had at that point, she, you know, they stayed married. Everything was fine. He kind of helped take take care of her daughter. Um, but she basically was, you know, would focus just nothing but work. She stayed at her office at all hours. Her, she'd have her daughter there with her. Um, but she wasn't, you know, the PR machine that you kind of have to be these days as far as like, you know, who who's the face behind the label. Mm-hmm. She didn't really care about any of that. Yeah, she just enjoyed the work and didn't care about doing the marketing part. Yeah. So in 1918, she actually took over the entire building at the at 22 Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honoré, and she installed 10 workrooms. And in it, she had um, also had a fur department. So women could come there and store their furs in the summer. But it was business also was good. The business was really good. And but it was also a great way to get these women to come in to, you know, drop off their furs and then they'd stick around and buy some more things. That was very smart marketing on her part, even if she didn't mean to be a smart marketer. Yeah, she was very smart. Um, And then uh, later on that year, she was at a party and she met a decorator named Armand Ratou. And he um, was really known for um, just uh, all of the, you know, furnishings for your home and, and wall coverings and drapes and everything else there is. And they decided to um, work together. And she, so at this point, she's now branched out past fashion and she's now doing architectural decor with him. And she opened up another store at 15 Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honoré that was basically for everything for the home. There was uh, rugs, furniture, stained glass, curtains, everything all in the Art Deco style. She was a busy woman. She was a very busy woman. She didn't need to go out there and make sure people, you know, it's like, I kind of like that, that she just was like, nope, this is what I do. And I'm just going to keep plugging away at it. And I don't need to do any of that other stuff. Gosh, I wish it was that easy today. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But then she decided to start doing menswear too. And she is also one of the very first brands to ever dress the entire family. That's crazy. She was one of the first and it was a woman. I love that. Like, I mean, you look at, you know, Ralph Lauren and, you know, all of those people, you know, they basically, I mean, Ralph Lauren is basically the modern age Jean Levin because he Mm -hmm. does everything for the family, for the home, everything. So Jean did it first. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but she didn't stop there. She's decided to start doing sportswear as well. So for the beach, um, she would do bathing suits. She did tennis, tennis wear. She did winter sports, um, sweater, skiing, everything. Um, and she oh, basically put it yet another little store into her, you know, her uh, her ever expanding property that she had on Rue de Faubourg. And, and again, she did that before Coco Chanel. <laughs> you built such an empire. Why have I never heard her name before? I know. You might have heard the Lavin brand. You might have I seen think it. I definitely have the perfume brand, yeah. Yeah, you probably have seen it. Um, but she she had such a specific eye um for color and she loved design. And so in nineteen twenty two she decided to open up her own dye factory in Nanterre. And so yeah. she she would create actual custom colors. So there's Lanvin Blue. There's uh, Rose Polignac that was named for her daughter. There is Vert Velasquez. Um, but she made these like very specific colors. And she wanted, and she was so brilliant to just then be like, I'm just going to open my own factory to make them. I love that she had the money to do this too, because from the very beginning, she was supporting herself, basically. Yeah, she was basically supporting herself. Uh, but, you know, she, she also loved the color black because it, she thought it was like, you know, the chicest color there was. Again, before Chanel. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you think Chanel knew about her? I'm sure she did. I'm sure she had to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she, she kind of stayed, she kind of also didn't always just, um, follow whatever the trend was at the time. She kind of, she stayed with the more bouffant style, um, because it was flattering to every body type. So whether you were a little larger or you were, you know, very thin, it was a very forgiving style. Um, but she did actually design a style called, it was called the robe de style. And it was another one that she had, um, figured out how to basically figure out a way to cut fabric differently than anybody else. So she, it would actually create a different way of hanging in uh, for the dress. And it would just kind of create a whole different silhouette. She figured all that out on her own. What a great idea. And I can't believe she knew how to do so many things. Yeah. <laughs> And she kind of, you know, the the whole 18th century um, with the dropped waist, um, thinner kind of uh, silhouette, she also kind of brought that back at the time. You know, here it is, you know, later on in the 20th century, she kind of brought that back as well. So she she kind of just stuck to what she thought she, you know, what she believed in and what she liked. She didn't really care about what the trend was at the time. I think that's great. Like she was the trendsetter. Yeah, she definitely was. Um, but it, you mentioned perfume. So in 1924, she was um, only the second designer after Paul Poirot to create a fragrance. She again. was only the second. Yes. So again, before Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a theme here. <laughs> yeah. But her, um, it was called My Sin, and it was a huge success in the, in the United States. And in 1927, she created another one called Arpege for her daughter's 30th birthday. And so she only uh, had one daughter ever, right? She only had one daughter. And so her daughter, um, she wanted to go by Mary Blanche and she was a very accomplished op opera singer and a musician. And it was the, the scent is a blend of Jasmine, honeysuckle and Lily of the Valley. That just sounds like perfection. I'm just, I was going to say, I want to wear that. I know. It's like, I got to get some of that. Um, yeah. It reminded her of the ar ar arpeggio when you when the you're playing the notes on a piano, and her daughter said when she smelled it that it said that she said it reminds me of arpeggio just because of the how beautiful it was and how it just the the scent flew, and so she so that's why they named it arpege. I love this. How cool! I want my mom designed me my own perfume. I know <laughs> that'd be nice, and your own clothes. Yes. Uh, but, be rich. <laughs> exactly. um, but in 1925, she decided she would just build her own fragrance factory. I mean, why not? Why not? So, you know, unlike uh, other people that had basically gave it away to somebody else and then tried to fight <laughs> to get it back, she just decided to do all this on her own, which is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, you know, she was very quiet. We mentioned that um, she was very quiet and she just would rather spend her time with her family, reading about art and history and symbolism that she incorporated into a lot of her designs. Um, she would use really sometimes heavy embellishments, um, a lot of um, beading and a lot of, you know, some feathers and some stuff like that. But she would actually put symbolism into her designs that weren't always, you know, it didn't like jump right out at you. Like, you yeah. Know, a logo on a t-shirt but she used all of her um her love of art and all of this these other things that she actually just put into her designs that's so smart so she was just totally like engrossed in her work like that's all it was about she didn't like we said she didn't have to the marketing part because people just loved it so much the word spread 
yeah, the word just spread on its own. Um, but in 1925, she decided to expand her brand at the Pavilion d'Elegance at the International Exhibition of Paris. Um, and 10 years before that, in 1915, she actually traveled to San Francisco for the International Exhibition. And, and that basically helped establish her U.S. base. She, you know, mm-hmm. she had taken, um, you know, some, some of her fashion, some of her, um, you know, just everything she had with her. And, you know, I think probably they were like, Ooh, you know, glamorous and it's from Paris. Um, yeah. but it was perfect because then when she launched her perfume, her p- perfume was a bigger success in the U S than it was in Paris. I love that her perfume was called sin or my sin. Mm-hmm. That seems very scandalous for the time. I know. Very scandalous. It's very um, Puritan society. Exactly. I mean, I think maybe maybe back then, you know, in America, it was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why it became popular, like the name. Wow. Yeah, it's your little secret. Um, and, and in 1935, the maiden voyage of the SS Normandy, um, she it was on, leaving, um, you know, France to go to the U.S. And so she actually held a fashion show on board. And it was a genius thing to do because basically everybody that was on this maiden voyage was, you know, very rich, very upper crust, um, very bourgeois people. And it was great because then, you know, she held this fashion show on the boat and it, you know, and now they're trapped for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can buy the clothes. That's all you're going to (laughs) see. Exactly. So um, during World War II, she kept her house open the entire time unlike others and <laughs> <laughs> keeping her employees and selling, um, selling, selling her designs to a few Parisians could still afford it, but it was really important for her to be able to keep all of her employees. You know, at this point um, she ended up having 23 ateliers and employed over 800 people. Wow. And she was able to do that during the war, during the war. And so she did all of that with, and she want really had this intention of wanting to, you know, help still support people and keep them, you know, keep them working. I can't believe like the Nazis didn't shut her down or something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, but there was quite a few. I mean, I, the Dior, you know, he was working for somebody else, I think, at the time. Um, but there was quite a few brands that were still, you know, still working. And of course, things had changed and it was hard to get fabric and some things like that. But, you know, I think it was it's great that they all, you know, found it important to keep keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that that's pretty. I mean, she's already done so much. And then to sustain war as well. That's insane. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, you know, she, she had been in the business, it's now the forties. Um, and, you know, she basically has, you know, she's selling and creating everything, you know, starting in hats and, you know, creating her own fabric, her own colors, her own perfume, um, fashion for the entire family, fashion for your home. <laughs> I love how she's done everything. She's like H&M. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like fancy H&M, H&M. Actually, <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, but on July 6, 1946, at her apartment at, at 16 Rue Barbet de Joie, she, um, with her apartment, it, it's actually right over by the Musée Rodin. Mm-hmm. And it has to over, I mean, if she lived on one of the upper floors, she has to definitely be overlooking that garden. So she could overlook Rodin's garden. Yeah. Which is just has to be amazing. Uh-huh. I want to that garden i walked by the other night coming back from the metro and i was like look at these apartments looking right down into rodin's like sculpture garden i know i always wonder that when you're walking some of the streets and it's like you know like i mean the people even look across live across the street from it i'm like what if you could just look down there all the time and just see that oh 
<laughs> so unfair. So unfair. Yeah. But she, um, she was living there and she, that's when she died. And she died. She passed away in 1946. But, you know, she had lived, you know, a very good long time. She was born in 67 and died in 46. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty good life. That's a very good life. Um, but after she died, her daughter ended up taking over the fashion house. And it stayed in the family until 1994 um, when L'Oreal bought it. And in 2000, 2001, it went back into a private hands in its own by... I'm not sure who it is, but some, uh, a private, um, I think it's a, I think it's a Japanese, uh, company now owns it and it still is, it has its original store. It still does. It doesn't do the Hoka tour anymore. Um, uh, but it does still like you could go on and you could go on their website and you could find some more and see some great pictures of her. And it kind of tells the story, but it's, it looks pretty, uh, they do very classic handbags, but then some of the other stuff I thought was, you know, was very uh a little too hip for me (laughs) (laughs) not working i am not that cool yeah i was just like yeah that's yeah yeah it's uh but still still spendy but um in 1920 when she was working with armand roteau he actually designed part of the some of the rooms in her apartment and the apartment that she had that over that was by the musee rodin was very large and it had, um, you know, quite a few different rooms and it had, you know, he ended up designing the library, the gallery, the hall, the dining room, the bedroom, the bathroom, the boudoir. Um, and some of them all are in her signature colors. And, so cool. and the coolest thing about that is you could see her apartment. You could see her, the rooms in the Musée des Arts Décoratifs. The what they're now trying to just call the MAD, which is um, basically it's in the same building as the Louvre. Technically, it's on the Rue de Rivoli side. And if you have never gone to that museum, you definitely should. It's one of my favorites. It's just amazing. Um, And the rooms are actually the very, very far end. So they're basically at the very far end that would be overlooking the Tuileries. And there's three rooms in a row. And that's like her um, the L'Envin Blue which is, um, you know, her signature color is, is her bedroom. Oh, wow. I, I don't think I've been there. Do you like, you buy a different ticket than, ticket than the yeah, little yeah, ticket? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, it's separate. I mean, it's, it's technically in the same building structure of the Louvre. So, but it's just on the Rue de Rivoli side. So like, it basically goes um, kind of halfway down and then all the way to the very end to, you know, where the um, Jean d'Arc statue is. Okay, I have to search that out. I had no idea. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's absolutely amazing. Not very many people are ever there. They do really, they did a couple years ago, they did an amazing exhibition about Dior, um, mm-hmm. just with all of these dresses. And it was just, just phenomenal. Uh, but it is one of my very favorite museums in Paris. And it, people just don't go there. So it, yeah, actually, I do remember the line was insane for the Dior exhibition. Yeah. So I guess people found out about it. But uh, I just imagine being in there not being able to like look at anything because there were so many people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it definitely when I went to Dior and I had the ticket in advance, it definitely there was a very long line for it. But every time I've been there um, without that, when it hasn't been Dior, you basically just walk right in. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll go check it out. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. Um, but she had, you know, she's seen that blue. Um, she saw it uh, in a friend, friend Angelico uh, fresco in Florence in the 1920s. And she just loved the color so much. She was just like, I'm just going to recreate this color. 
What a great idea. Yeah. But these, the three rooms that are, that are in the um, mad are um, just like, I mean, literally like the entire room is that blue. Every so beautiful, <laughs> very blue. Yeah, but they also have her, um, her boudoir and her bathroom there as well. So one of them, one of them is yellow, and I can't remember which the other one was, but um, it's really cool. And you could kind of, they actually have it really set up really well, so you could kind of, you can't walk in it, of course, but you could kind of see it from different angles. Um, it is just, it's really, it's really neat. And it's at the very, very end of the museum. So usually a lot of people that you'll find even less people there. <laughs> this is all great information. I'm so going to go. Yeah, it's really great. Um, but you know, as we said, Lavin is the oldest operating house in the world. Um, some people will like try to argue that because Louis, Louis Vuitton started in 1854 and Hermes started in 1837, but they didn't start in clothing. And as mm. we know, one of them started, you know, making um, stuff for horses and one of them just started with making trunks. So even though those technically those companies have been around longer, they weren't fashion houses. So she is the oldest fashion house in the world still operating. I like this so much and I'm shocked that someone could afford to buy the company back from L'Oreal, like that just blows my mind because L'Oreal is so big. It's so big and has so much money. Yeah. I maybe they just were like, man, we'll just get rid of this. Yeah. But we don't I, need this. Yeah. I love that her, um, her original store is still Lava hmm. today. I like that it's in the same spot. Mm-hmm. So cool. It's very cool. Well, I'm going to be looking at more about her and I want to go buy that perfume she made for her daughter because that smells like I can just imagine that smell in my mind. It it seems perfect. I know. I definitely, we're both going to have to go find that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go sneak up on that one. Well, thank you, Claudine, for telling us more about a new woman in the French history that we knew nothing about. And tune in next week, guys, for a new creative woman in history. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you can always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.